everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coffee with Jesus. Today I want to unpack a few verses from the tiny little letter of Jude, which is nestled right before Revelations in the New Testament. We're going to unpack something about the glory of God here today. And so the title for today's session is Jude's Doxology. Don't worry about it. The word doxology simply means a declaration of the glory of God or an examination of the glory of God. If you are new to our podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, as well as everyone who joins us each and every single week. Um, As far as possible, we will be releasing this podcast every Tuesday. And the point of this podcast is for us to grab a cup of coffee or tea, hot chocolates, whatever it is, or perhaps on your way to work or at gym, wherever it is that you get time to think and, and, and reflect on Jesus. And let's spend 10, 15 minutes together speaking about something, anything, that may help us become more like Jesus. So subscribe to this podcast, please, on whichever platform you are on. Perhaps you would like to share it or get it out there. Let's let's get this podcast into as many people's homes and cars as possible. And let's dive into today's session. Now, as I mentioned, I want to unpack two verses right at the end of Jude that are profound. However, we need to understand the context. Jude writes a lot about false teachers and things like that. He writes about persevering. But in the verse 3, right up front, he reveals what he would like to speak about if these issues were not so pressing. In other words, he says to the church, hey, if, if you weren't going through what you're going through, this is what I would talk on. So verse 3, he writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So what he's saying here is, I wanted to speak about our salvation, but I have to write about contending for the faith. There, there was a, <clears throat> a sense of urgency, a sense of necessity on him talking about the faith. <clears throat> so understanding that, now we come all the way down to the end of the, the book, right? The end of the letter. And in verse 24 and 25, he writes this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. These two verses in many Bibles, perhaps in the Bible that you use, has the heading doxology, which simply means a kind of praise declaration, a declaration of the glory of God. Jude instructs the people with regards to their practical faith. But he ends off his letter praising God. And the content of that praise, the content of that declaration of glory, is what I want to have a look at it for a few moments. Number one, in this declaration of God's glory, he says God keeps us from stumbling. First thing he remarks on is the fact that God is the one who keeps us, keeps me and you from stumbling. And this word stumbling is kind of a a difficult word to translate because it literally means the opposite of being sinless. Another way of thinking about it is you are sinful. Um, it makes it simple. It means God is able to keep us from being full of sin. This is not a mistake or a stumble. This is not an accident. This is speaking to the fact that God is able to keep us from intentionally sinning. And this is huge because we live in a world where control has become an idol. It's become a God. We want to be the ones in control of our own destinies. And this is why it's so difficult for us as a society to accept heaven is not a reward for a good life. We want to be the ones who live according to our rules, our decisions, and we want to be the ones who decide what's right. However, Jude here makes an important statement that is backed up by the entire Old Testament and, in fact, all of human history. The truth is that we cannot make ourselves sinless. In our own strength, in our own flesh, we are always going to be full of sin. 
We cannot use behavior modification. There is no amount of willpower to get us to the place where we are without sin. Many have tried and realized the human heart is not capable of perfection on its own. That's why in the Old Testament you read that, you read that the human heart is sinful and corrupted above all else. And this is why Jude says God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling, from sinning. We cannot do it. From Adam to you and me, what humanity has proven over and over and over is we are incapable of not sinning, but God. And this is kind of the the massive overarching statement of Jude, but God. But God can keep us from sinning. Now, Now I get it. This is not the reality we experience. We still sin. The people around us still sin. Sometimes they're caught up in the consequences of our sin or we are caught up in the consequences of other people's sin. So the reality is that we do not live in a world devoid of sin. But what Jude is saying here is perhaps instead of trying so hard to stop sinning, what if we allow God to do what God can do? What if we allowed God to move in us and through us and the result might be different? Instead of us working so hard, trying so hard to not sin, and instead of focusing on what we shouldn't do or what we should do, what if we just focused on allowing God to be God and allowing God to deal with sin? And so basically the point here is, what if we were more conscious of God's presence than we were of our own sin? What if we were so God conscious every moment of the day that we actually got rid of the sin consciousness and we allowed ourselves to become what Paul says, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So number one, God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling, sinning. Number two, and this for me is is beautiful. It says here, God presents us blameless before his glory. Let me read it to you in the words. It says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is presenting us. God is making us fit for his glory. And apart from God's intervention, his glory would be too much for us to handle. Moses could only handle the back of God, seeing the back of God. The high priests in the Old Testament only attempted to enter the glory of God in the tabernacle once a year, and that was out of necessity. Angels in the Old Testament terrified every person they met because the glory of God in in its raw form is too much for us to handle. And yet, here we read God is making us fit for his glory. His desire has always been for a family. And this is not because he is lonely, but rather because of the overflow of the love that is experienced in the Trinity. God wants to share what he has in the Trinity with a broader group. He wants us to be with him forever, but he cannot diminish himself in order to make that happen. For God to reduce himself in order to accommodate us and our sin would be the greatest crime the universe has ever seen. And so if that is not the answer, if the answer is not for God to diminish himself to make us okay in his presence, then the only other way for us to be in community with him, the only way for us to spend eternity with him is for us to become fit for his glory. So understand this. In order for us to spend eternity with God, one of two things has to happen. Either God would have had to reduce himself to accommodate our sin, or he would have to make, something would have to happen to make us fitter so that we could experience his glory. Right? And as I mentioned, if God was to diminish himself, that would be the greatest crime in the universe but again we come back to this idea that we can't do that on our own there is nothing you and i can do there is no amount of good we can do to make us fit for the glory of god we need someone else to make us fit for his glory and this is exactly what god is doing in us and through us 
through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we are being made fit for his glory. Another word you might think about in terms of this is God is consecrating us or the process of discipleship, the process of sanctification. What those things are doing when God does that work in us, what he's doing is he's making us fit for his glory. And why, you might ask, why do we need to be fit for his glory? Why, why do we even need to go on this process? Because God's glory is the original home of our souls. Our souls thrive best in the glory of God. That is home for your soul, for my soul, the glory of God. So number one, God keeps us from stumbling. Number two, God is making us fit for his glory. And number three, God is in control. Jude wants us to realize, he wants us to grasp that God is in control. He is the only God. He is the only Savior. No one else occupies his throne. No one else has his authority and majesty. He is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond our imagination. Even the concept of time, something to which we cannot escape, God is not limited by. And just thinking that thought is mind-boggling. God is not limited by the very thing that limits us. The problem comes when we disagree with how he is choosing to rule and reign. If he's in control and things don't go the way we want, we tend to get mad at the one in control. But here is the fundamental thing we need to get. It's not about us. God is in control. It's about his glory. It's about his story. His authority is about him, not about us. But what we have been promised is that while it's not about us, it will end up being good for us. Even when we can't see how right now. Uh, this is such a massive paradigm shift, I think, for so many of us. When God makes promises, when God speaks about his character and nature, and he talks about how he's got plans for us, and he talks about how he can turn all things around for the good of those who love him and are according to his purpose. When we read those kind of things, we kind of almost can fall into the trap of believing scripture is about us and all of God's work is about us. No, when God moves, when God works, it's about him. It's for us. We benefit from it. We are the, the beneficiaries of that work, but it's about him. It's, a, it's always been about him. It will always be about him. He is the one in control. And his authority and control are the things through which that his glory can be represented in our world. Now, why does all of this matter? God's glory is the main thing in existence. And when we live for him, when we partner with him in keeping us holy, when we allow him to make us fit for his glory, and when we trust him as he rules and reigns for eternity, we are doing exactly what Liberty Church's mission statement is. We are living for his glory and we are enjoying him forever might it be that we are living short of our abundant life that we are promised might it be that we lack joy because we are not living for his glory we're living for our own and i love the fact that jude writes in his in these two short verses again back to 24 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy perhaps we have lost out on this great joy because we are trying to through behavior modification, keep us sinless. Perhaps we're trying to, through um, effort and striving, we're trying to make ourselves fit for his glory. And maybe through both of those things, whether we articulate it like this or not, we are in control of our own lives. And because we've placed ourselves in the position of Jesus, we cease having joy. Right now, my prayer for you is that you would begin to live a life of joy as you allow God to make you sinless. As you allow God to make you fit for his glory and as you allow God to be in control. Uh, my prayer is that you would experience joy unspeakable this week. That you would sense his presence. You would sense his leading and guiding. And so that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for each and every single one of us throughout this week. 
I look forward to, to hearing from you. If there's any testimonies or anything, please let us know. And we will meet together same time, same place next week. God bless everyone.